Chapel, Mason City. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 today. I've entitled this message, Spiritual Blessings. And before we get into it, I'd like to show you a picture that will kind of set the tone for where we are going. And this picture, as you can see there, is this gentleman with a cup, a little camping cup. And it looks like the waterfall is pouring into this cup the way that he has his hand positioned. Today, you are about to understand and get a taste of the spiritual blessings that God has provided for you. And this really symbolizes it. There is so much more than we can even appropriate, than we can even hold. There is so much more that God has. And I, I am willing to say that I, I'm guessing that there's more in this message today than you ever even knew available to you. Many Christians kind of live in an impoverished state when it comes to understanding their spiritual blessings. It reminds me of Katie who grew up in extreme poverty. Her home had a dirt floor. To get enough to eat, she snuck onto the neighbor's property to steal the scraps that they had thrown out into the cow's troughs. Her parents died when she was very young and Katie struggled her whole life to take care of her siblings then. She kind of was in charge afterwards. Hers was a life of extreme struggle. They're in that dirt floor house. At the end of her life, she was hospitalized and the doctors told her that her illness was terminal. So an attorney came in to visit her in the hospital bed because they needed to take care of some legal matters. And as this attorney came in one day, he said, I need to talk to you about what you're going to do with the estate. And of course, Katie laughed and said, estate, the dirt floor house? Uh, what am I going to do with it? Who am I going to leave that to? And he says, no, you, you don't seem to understand. When you were seven years old, your grandfather died and left you a tremendous amount of money, but after multiple attempts to contact your family unsuccessfully, that money just sat in an account your whole life. And she couldn't help but weep and think about how different her life would have been had she known about all the riches that were in her account. And that is the state of many Christians today. There is so much sitting in your spiritual bank account that you've yet to appropriate. And the Apostle Paul is going to help us with that here today in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We are going to see blessings. And they're going to be divided into three sections as the scripture naturally divides itself in three sections. The first one is verses 1 through 6 of the passage. These are blessings from the Father Verses 7 through 12, these are blessings from the Son. And verses 13 through 14, you guessed it, blessings from the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to you today and we open your scriptures, Lord, we do pray that you would make this book live to us. 
that more than the words of a mere man standing, speaking, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Father, I trust that you will speak, that you know right where we are, right what we need from you today. Lord, we pray against distractions. We pray, Father, that you would quicken our mind, that you would illuminate the scripture to us, help us to understand spiritual things. And we do ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul was personally commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what it means when he says he's an apostle. And he says that he's an apostle by the will of God. Now, I love that. Right away, Paul knows who he is. He knows what he has been called to do. And that's a tremendous source of confidence in your life, isn't it? If you're a parent here today, you can say, here's my name, a parent by the will of God. I'm a student by the will of God. I'm a child by the way, you know, by the will of God. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a, an employee. I'm, you know, whatever it is. To know that you are who you are by the will of God and to know that. I love how Paul starts letters like that. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, I just want to talk about the word apostle for a second because there's confusion surrounding that word in today's church. Ephesians 2.20 says this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He is talking about the church there. And notice what he says about the church. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. The word the before the word apostles is what they call a definite article. He's talking about a particular group of apostles, right? And so when Paul says that he's an apostle, he's talking like a capital A apostle, the apostles. Now, there are people today that have apostolic sort of callings where they will, you know, be sent out by Jesus to go maybe plant churches and different things like that. They have apostolic callings, but there are no, there are no people today that have the same authority as the 12, as the foundation, like it says in 2.20, like the apostles that the church was built upon them, those apostles and those prophets, they had authority over the body of Christ. And I bring that up because there are some today that position themselves to say they have authority over the body of Christ as apostles, and that's just not scriptural. I would caution you against that sort of teaching. He says it's written to those who are faithful in Christ. It doesn't mean people that are very like loyal. It means essentially people that believe in Christ. He's, re, he's re, uh, writing to the saints in Ephesus, but he's writing to people that believe in Christ in general. So it's written to you today. And notice how he does this greeting. He, Paul frequently uh, begins his letters with these two words, grace and peace. Now, I love those. Grace is such a beautiful word. It's such an essential word to understand in the Bible, the word grace. And he starts out by saying grace. And that word in the Greek is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And we get our English word from it, charity. And so at the core meaning of the word grace is the understanding that it's something that is not earned, it's not deserved, it's charity. The Bible says that we are saved by grace. Some people will say we're saved by faith. We're not saved by faith. 
We're saved by grace through faith, right? But we're saved by God's charity, his gift. God's grace is his unmerited favor upon sinners. It's beautiful. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. He gives it. Next, he goes and says peace, grace and peace. Now, peace is the subjective experience, the peace deep inside, the experience of peace in somebody that has received the grace of God. You will never have the peace of God until you first partake of the grace of God, right? The reason you have peace with God today is because of the book of Colossians. Remember, it said that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, before Jesus went to the cross and made peace by the blood of his cross, there was enmity between you and God. The Bible says that God will punish sinners. That we're, Aaron and I are reading in the book of Isaiah, and we just noticed this verse that jumped out the other day that it says, God will wipe sinners out. You know, people say frequently, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Well, the Bible says clearly that he's just going to destroy sinners, right? And that is why Jesus Christ went to the cross was to make peace, to take the wrath upon himself that sinners deserve. That all went on Jesus. So then that anybody that has faith in Jesus then can be spared that wrath, right? And so when Paul says grace and peace, he's saying tremendous things right there. It's not just some greeting. There's, it's a loaded greeting, is it not? I hope you have the peace of God here today because you've partaken of the grace of God. He says, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, two members of the Trinity there, and we'll see in verses 13 and 14, the third member of the Trinity. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, his title, which means master, which means ruler. Jesus, which that name was a common name in those days, and it means the Lord is salvation. And Christ, which means the chosen or the anointed one. Christ means that he was the one that was chosen to be the savior of the world, to be the Messiah. So when you see LJC, don't think that he's got that, you know, that isn't his first, middle, and last name. Like he's got monogram towels, you know, LJC. Lord is his title, and it means master. It means ruler. That's why when Jesus says to some disciples that aren't doing what he says, he says, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? It just doesn't make sense to call him Lord. It wouldn't make sense to call anybody Lord if you didn't do what they said. Right? And so he says right here, the Lord Jesus Christ, he identifies him. Now here come the blessings from the Father. And I'm going to tell you what they are and then we're going to go look at them, uh, spend a few moments on each. The blessings from the Father. First of all, the Father chose you, the Father adopted you, number two, and the Father accepted you. Those three things we see in this passage. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice that there where it says blessed us, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That has to do with the fact that these are spiritual blessings. It doesn't mean that these blessings are only for when you get to heaven. It just means that these are spiritual blessings. These are blessings for here and now that will continue on into eternity. I want you to notice also that the word 
blessed is in the past tense. You remember the illustration, you know, that she had the money put in the account, past tense, it was already there. If you're in Christ Jesus today, you have been blessed with these things, past tense. You don't ask God to do these things. These are things that have been done already. These are things that we need to be aware of to appropriate as Christians in our life. And the first thing is he says that we have been chosen in him. Now, in the same way, you know, man, I suppose that the gal sitting next with you today, you, you probably chose her. You wanted to be married to her. You chose and, and I want to be with you. Vice versa, hopefully. I, maybe not. God chose you to be with him in a relationship. That's the first blessing that he says here today. In him, through Jesus, he chose us in him. The whole idea of being chosen, my grandma dug out a cookbook the other day that I made. It has Garfield on the cover, and I drew Garfield on there. And it was a cookbook that um, has recipes for all kinds of different stuff. And the, and the recipes are from uh, different uh, classmates. And so all these memories came back. It was like first grade. But one particular name stood out. I mean, it was like the perfect handwriting and everything. And at the end, it was this guy. And I won't even say his name because they were online, but isn't it Jeff something? And I was like, I remember that guy, you know, because he was the one that got picked for everything. You know, you're going to play kickball, right? And man, I played guitar, you know, I didn't play kickball, right? So I'd be, they'd be like, line up. And then the team captains, you know, everybody, oh, we want Jeff, we want Jeff. Like he was chosen, you know, and I was more like you ended up with me, you know, what I mean? like, oh gosh, we'll get, you get old guitar guy, my hair's in my face. I'm like, ah, you, know, you can't play kickball with combat boots. That's what's being said here. God chose. He elected. He selected. It's pretty interesting because nobody ends up being a Christian like I ended up being on the kickball team, right? Isn't that cool? Now, you sit and you think about this just for a second, and why is this such a spiritual blessing? Doesn't this give you peace and comfort, security? Man, so many people are lacking these things today, trying to find their identity in places where it just causes you to be sick, you know? It just causes you to be in anxious and depressed and worried. But when my heart is established in the grace of God and I know that he chose me, that he selected me, man, I feel, I feel good. I feel good. He can do whatever he wants. And he chose me and he chose you. Yeah, it's so important. So important to know this. It gets better. Why did he choose you? Or I'm sorry, when did he choose you? Look at the next clause there. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, there's a lot. This, this is loaded. Now, before God ever said, let there be light, he said, I'll choose you. Now, the implications of this. You know, by and large, we could divide people into two categories just for the sake of illustration. We could say there are people that feel worthless. Like, I don't ever do anything great. I don't ever, I've never done anything with my life. I'm just a mess. Here I am. Midlife crisis. Never done anything wonderful. And then on the other side, you have people that are like, oh, I'm such a winner. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, I can see why God chose me. Oh, because I'm just so spiritual. I'm such a good boy. I'm such a good girl. I do the right thing all the time. He picked a winner. Well, listen, 
if he chose you before the foundation of the world, that means he chose you before your failures. He chose you before your successes. See, this lifts the downtrodden and it humbles the proud and it brings them all to the level ground right at the cross. God chose you before you did anything. And he chose you, I, I, I ran into a quote and it's attributed to Spurgeon or D.L. Moody and I've seen both. And it says this, I'm so glad God chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chosen me afterwards. <laughs> it's a funny quote, but it's missing, it's really missing. God chose you with full, complete, intimate knowledge of everything about you, even the things that you're not sure about telling your spouse. He chose you. He picked you knowing everything. Hmm. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, here we have the purpose for God choosing. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The idea of holy, it just means to be set apart. A very simple illustration for holiness is if I, if I take that uh, tray that the communion's in and I say, we'll never use this for anything except for communion. I have set it apart. I've sanctified it. It's now holy. That's what the word means. And so when it, this says that God selected you, that he chose you to be holy, it means to be set apart right? To be set apart from what? To be set apart from the devil, from the world system, from this whole way the world does things that is in subjection to the evil one. He's called you to be different. He's called you to be his own. He's called you to be, and it's going to go on and talk more about this. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he's called you to be separate, right? And when it says holy and without blame before him in love, the without blame is the idea of being spotless, without blemish, right? And one day when we see Christ face to face, when we shed these flesh bodies, we will be before him absolutely spotless, right? No sin, no trace of sin left, no trace of perversion, sinful anger, none of these things. Everything will be wiped clean the day that we stand before him. I am looking forward to that. The better I try to be, the worse I find out that I am. And I am so looking forward to the day when there's just none of that. When I can worship him freely with no insecurity, no anxiety, no, nothing interfering. That's what he's set you apart for. Involved with this, now think about this in your practical Christian life. If God has chosen you to know him through Jesus Christ, to be separate the application is very simple. Is I'm not to be doing things like the world is doing. I'm to be living like him and to becoming more and more like him. Remember when Paul says in the book of Philippians that you are lights in this fallen, broken, and perverse world? That's what he's called you to do as Christians. He's called you to be salt and light in a dark world. He's called us to be different, to be separate. Remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, come out from them. Don't do things like the world does. He doesn't mean go meditate on a mountain for the rest of your life and don't go around people. He means to be in the world, but not of the world, not of this world. And notice how he says at the end of that clause, in love. God is love. And so therefore all that are chosen to be in Christ, to be in him are in love and they manifest that love. 
So he chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, if you're a believer, knowing that you are chosen by God, it tells you at the deepest level that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are not some afterthought, that you were not last on the list and got picked by default. There's a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's not based on anything that you can or can't do. It's all based on God's grace and God's mercy. Now, if you're an unbeliever here today, you might say, well, it talks about God choosing people. How do I know if God chose me? Great question. Do you want to receive Jesus Christ? Is today your day? You do? Hey, great. God chose you. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to receive Jesus. Well, I don't know. Maybe he didn't choose you. The Bible says today, choose who you're going to follow. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today is the day of salvation. Choose who you will follow. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call upon the Lord will be saved. The Bible says that God so loved his only, or he, so, he so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him. So you need to choose. You need to choose to receive. He chose you. You need to choose to receive. You say, I'm not sure if I want to receive him. I'm not sure if he chose you. Simplest way to wrap up a 2,000-year-old debate about election and Calvinism and Arminianism all in one sentence. <laughs> so, no, I don't pretend to have that figured out. I do know the Bible says clearly that God chose you, and I know the Bible says clearly that you need to choose both of those things. So, the Father adopted you. Isn't the cup already overflowing? We're not even done with the first point. We're in the first subpoint of the first point. Now, the Father adopted you, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You were marked out beforehand. You were predestined. For what? Not only chosen, but welcomed into his family, adopted into his family. Now, in ancient times in Rome, uh, there was a legal process of adoption that actually grown adults could be adopted into a family. And when they were adopted into the family, they received all the same legal rights as a biological child. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, you were marked out, predestined, you were marked out beforehand to be adopted into God's family. Now, when you're adopted into a family, you're also expected to conform to that family's standards right? Has anybody ever seen the movie Problem Child? <laughs> oh, man. John Ritter. I mean, it was the 80s, 90s. <laughs> well, they adopt this kid, and he, like, starts the cat on fire and just all kinds of stuff. He's crazy, you know? And there's even three sequels, so you know that, like, the guy never gets it together. But the whole premise is, like, Jeff Healy, his name is Mr. Healy, and then he adopts the little kid into the family, and, the, and he just wants to be optimistic. The dad, he's like, he'll come around, he'll come around, Junior, and he's been in and out of, you know, every place 20 times. They always take him back, and uh, he just, you know, he never really gets it. And then there's one time, you know, you see the scene of him praying, and he's like, gosh, God, please help me. Mr. Healy really loves me. Help me to be better. I mean, the point is, is, you know, he adopted him in because of love, but he wanted him to conform to the standards of the home. Like, just don't, don't let the cat on fire. You know what I mean? Just, could, you, could you not do that? Could you not blow up the house and, and uh, stuff like that? God brings you in because he loves you and he wants you to live as, as they live in the family. With this adoption, we can say that God is our father. Now, that's a weird thing for some people. You know, as a father, he doesn't stay out and get drunk all night. 
Uh, he's not a hothead. He's not a flake. He's not condemning. He's not harsh. He's present. He's gentle, tenderhearted, concerned. He's solid. He's wise. He's always interested in hearing from you. He's for you. He shows up to all your stuff. He wants to see you excel and have a spiritually abundant, joyful life. And he says, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God is delighted in the fact that he can adopt you. Some people don't have that relationship with God. They think that like he's just, uh, just about ready to blow his top. Like, man, you mess up one more time and lightning strike, you know? That is not the God of the Bible. I mean, the God of the Bible is it's like he's, he wants you. He wants you. Now, there's some people that really play this down today. They say, well, we need to make sure the churches aren't watering down the gospel message. We need to talk about judgment. And, and we do. We do need to talk about judgment. We do need to talk about uh, sin and the severity of dying in your sins and going to hell. We need to talk about how serious that is. But we also need to talk about this God that has revealed himself as a loving father. He wants to be your father. He wants to teach you. He wants to protect you. To guide you. The Father accepted you, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted. There's a time in the Gospel of Luke when Mary is called the highly favored one. You guys remember that in the Gospel of Luke? It's in there. That's the title that, you know, the angel says, hey, highly favored one. It's the same Greek word here. So Christians, saints, same Greek word to describe them, what God has done for you, as to describe the Virgin Mary, highly favored one, highly blessed one. He's made you acceptable. He's graced you. He's literally graced you with grace, is how this would read. He's graced you with grace, and you're highly favored to him. The Father chose you, adopted you, and accepted you as his son or daughter. Number two, here are the blessings from the son. And I'll just tell you what they are ahead of time. The son bought your redemption. The son has forgiven your sin. The son has revealed the father's plan to you. The son has provided you with an inheritance. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound to us, uh, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The son bought your redemption, verse 7. Notice the word redemption. This is a term that is, uh, goes with the, in the slave market in these days. And it means to be bought out of slavery. God has bought you out of slavery through his son. 
As humans, we were once slaves to sin without the ability to free ourselves from its hold. However, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his blood paid the price for our sins and redeemed us from the power of sin and death. See, the idea of this language is, is like sin is like a slave master. And before Christ set you free from that, you didn't have any choice. You sinned all the time. You did what you wanted to. You always were a victim in a sense to this sin. You're choosing to do it. You're not a helpless victim, but you're dealing with the consequences of this thing that you've inherited from Adam and Eve in the garden, this force that you had, you were in its grip. You couldn't free yourself from it. Right now, I don't know if any of you remember that, you know, but before I became a Christian, I went through this phase before I was filled with the Holy Spirit where I tried to be a really good guy all the time. And I was just like, I can't stop. I, I can't be a good guy. I mean, there's something in me that the apostle Paul talks about it in Romans six chapters, you know, six, seven, and eight. He talks about it there. He says, I try to do the right thing, but I find that there's this, you know, there's this thing in me. You, you, you and I were slaves to sin before Christ set us free. Sin was our slave master. Now we belong to Christ and we live for his glory. We don't have to sin anymore. We will sin because our flesh is weak, although our spirit is willing, so we will. It's just inevitable. The book of 1 John says, if anybody says he has no sin, he lies and the truth's not in him. But we've been broken from the power, the dominating control of sin and darkness. That's why we sing that song. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? That's what we're talking about. You've been redeemed from that slave master. The son has forgiven your sins, also in verse 7. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of sins further defines redemption. Isn't it so great today to know that your sins are forgiven? There's no need to live in a sense of guilt and shame, fear of punishment, paranoia. Jesus' blood has fulfilled the righteous demands of God's justice. You are free from the penalty of sin and no longer need to obey it as your master. In fact, I want to encourage you to read Romans 6 through 8 tonight, three chapters. Please read those. And you're going to read Paul's experience with this whole thing about being set free from the power of sin and death. It says that these, all this stuff is according to the riches of his grace. So all part of God's unmerited favor to you is the shed blood of his son. There's power in the blood of Jesus. You were bought, enslaved to sin, but he came and paid the price and bought you out of that slave market and he owns you. That's why all these biblical writers, when they start their books, they say, you know, James, he's like a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I was bought out of slavery to my sin bought into his possession. Therefore, glorify God in your body, right? You were bought with a price, right? Power in the blood of Jesus. The son revealed the father's plan to you, verse eight. says, which he made abound toward us in all prudence, all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. And that's what I wanna focus on, on it, right? There's the mystery of God's will. The Son has made known to you the plan that God had from the beginning of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth under the Lordship of Christ. Now, this plan of the church of uniting all in one under the Lordship of Christ, this was a mystery in the sense that it was never revealed any other time in history. 
but it was revealed to the saints through the Apostle Paul. That's what a biblical mystery is. It means something that was hidden that God has revealed. And so that's another blessing that the Son has given us. He's revealed the plan of the church. What are some of the benefits of knowing this? Well, you know, people wander around aimlessly in life, you know? And the, the rate of like 40-somethings that don't know what they're doing with their life, I mean, this stuff is growing. People wandering around aimlessly. What is life all about? No direction, no confidence, no purpose, no optimism, right? But knowing the plan of the church, knowing that you are part of God's body, and it'll eventually culminate in all of us being united under the Lordship of Christ, and that you have a part in that body to fulfill, I mean, a, a Christian ought never to experience those things, a sense of meaninglessness. A Christian should always have confidence, always have direction in life, and always have optimism. Because God has made known to you that you're part of his church, that you have a role to fulfill. Every person in here is given a place in the body of Christ to fulfill. You know, in a sense, when you don't show up and you're not part of that, you're not present in the body of Christ doing the thing God you here to be, we're kind of all missing out because God has given you an express person, a purpose in the body of Christ. He's done that for you. He's revealed the plan to us so we know. I never have to sit and wonder what life's about. There is a time coming called the millennium, and that's after the great tribulation period. The way the Bible uh, seems to lay things out with a literal reading is after the church age comes a period called the great tribulation, uh, which is just immediately preceded by the rapture of the church. Your timing on the rapture might be different, but it seems that with a literal reading that we have church age, which we're in now, comes a rapture, comes seven-year great tribulation, then comes millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year reign of Christ. And the Bible seems to say literally that Jesus Christ will set his feet down on this planet and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem and people will be in peace and harmony with Jesus as the leader. I'm looking forward to that. What a beautiful reality. Verses 11 through 12, we see that the son has provided you with an inheritance. There's that word. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In the ancient world, like today, inheritance means, you know, when a father would die, he would pass on, uh, you know, his inheritance to his children. There were rules for it in the Jewish culture. This is the same because we are in Christ, we receive an inheritance from the Father. When my stepdad passed, I got money and I bought a car. Praise the Lord, because my car before that, man, my wife didn't even want to ride in that sucker. <laughs> I have a golden retriever and like he was all over in that car. It smelled like dog so bad, you know? Like he didn't even want to go in and he's like, oh, no, he wants to. Windshield was cracked, all the hubcaps were gone. And uh, so I was blessed to get this inheritance. How much more blessed, though, to get this inheritance that we're talking about here? Eternal life. Romans 8, 17 says, if you're children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. In other words, if you're in Christ... You're an heir with Jesus. He's like the older brother and God the father is the dad and you're just all united in with this inheritance. 
1 Peter 1.4, talking about this inheritance, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance that he's talking about is all the spiritual blessings we're talking about in this passage, the forgiveness of sins, being chosen, being adopted, being redeemed. It's also eternal life, a life of continuous praise and worship under the king for eternity. all the wealth of being a child of God. Hopefully this is not sitting in some account somewhere that you don't know about. All this is yours because you were hand-selected to be in Christ. The blessings from the Spirit, our last point, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He keeps ending these little sections by saying, to the praise of his glory. He's like, all this is done just so you praise God and go, glory, he's so glorious. It's like, remember in the introduction where I quoted Philip Schaff, and it said that the book of Ephesians is where um, uh, theology turns to worship, right? That's what Paul's doing. He's laying out these facts, but then by the end of his sentence, he's like back to praise and worship again, you know? He's like, oh, you've got all this in God, and it's like, oh my gosh, praise the Lord. And, oh, okay, okay. And then he goes back, you know, I don't want you to, th- when I do this, I don't want you to think he was writing it. He probably had an amanuensis and he was dictating it, you know? You wonder if the, the amanuensis is sitting there being like, Paul, Paul, you know, okay, fine, I'll add, how many times do you want me to say to the praise of the glory of his, gra-? I mean, I can do it every time, but I mean, you know, I'm sure, do it. <laughs> okay. Just having fun there. Paul says, notice that in verse 13, he says, in him, you also. Now I want you to notice those words, you also, because I want you to get the context of this letter. In the Ephesian church, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Remember what a Gentile is? A Gentile was just a word that Jews used for anybody that wasn't a Jew. And when he says, in him, you also, see what he's getting at? Paul's like, I'm a converted Jew that came into the church, but in him, you also. Because one of the major themes of the book of Ephesians is the fact that God has brought Jew and Gentile all together, all one, into the church, which that is an amazing thing. If you would have told Jews that in this day and age, it would have been like, oh, Oh, God loves them too? Seriously, this was radical, radical. No distinction in the body of Christ. All are one in the body of Christ. That's why there's just no place, and I'll say this just as an aside, that's why there's no place for sexism or racism anywhere in the body of Christ. It's just ridiculous. Anybody that's ever disguised their racist behaviors and said that they were Christians while doing it, is, that's not Christian. Not Christian. It's abominable. Paul says that you Gentiles as well, when they heard the gospel, notice it there, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, they heard that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that he was buried and that he rose the third day and that anybody that trusted in him would be saved. When they heard that and they believed that, they were saved. When you hear that, if you believe that, if the Holy Spirit has convinced you to believe that, then you are saved. And then what happened? When they were saved, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that word sealed, I brought a picture. 
Because this is what Paul is getting at here is, um, I, maybe I brought a picture. I don't know. Poor Isaiah back there. Sometimes I think I have things that I don't. Oh, there it is. On the documents here, you'll notice there's just a, a stack of documents, and then they're sealed with a piece of wax. And whoever, you know, was signifying that this document was genuine would put their signet ring in that wax, and you would look at the ring, and you'd be able to identify. It's like, you know, go get something notarized today. It's that sort of principle, right? And so what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit put one of those on you as a guarantee that you're the real deal, right? You're genuine. What's inside of this is genuine. This is legitimate, and it's sealed up. This belongs to me, right? Great thing. The mark of ownership or authenticity. The seal of the Holy Spirit given to believers as a guarantee of their inheritance in Christ. It signifies that they belong to God and that your salvation is secure. How do I know that I'm sealed? Well, Romans 8.15 says that we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And when it says Abba, it's not talking about the 70s pop disco sort of group. That's a word that the Hebrews used to call their dad. They'd call, it's like saying daddy. And what Paul says in Romans 8.15 is that you have received the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you have this deep abiding understanding that God is your father. Do you have that here today? Because if you do, then you know that you've been sealed. You know you have the Holy Spirit if you've got this, ah, he's my daddy. He's my daddy. I used to have a friend that used to pray like that. Every time we'd sit down to pray, he'd be like, daddy. And I would, for the longest time, I was like, oh, that's weird, you know? But then I read the Bible, <laughs> go figure, and was like, oh, that's, I see where he's getting that from now. How else do you know you're sealed? The inner witness of the Holy Spirit, that's all in Romans there. How about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, through 23? Do you notice that since you've become a Christian and said yes to Jesus, that you are growing in love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things as fruit, all of those things as attributes of the fruit of his spirit living in you, all right? Oh man, I'm so grateful, so grateful for that. How about the gifts of the spirit? First Corinthians 12 verses eight through 10. Those are signs that you've been sealed. Now, the spirit has been given, uh, has given you a down payment. That's in verse 14. So the first one, the Holy Spirit, blessings of the spirit, he seals us. The next one is he's given you a down payment. Look at verse 14, please. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. <laughs> now where it says there, it's, it's, it's like saying God has given a down payment in a sense. You know, when we bought our house, uh, we put down earnest money. And, you know, you're, putting, you're saying, look, I'm in. I'll be back to finish what I started. And that's what God's saying. The Holy Spirit's like, I will be back to finish this process. I've delivered you from the penalty of sin in justification. I'm delivering you from the power of sin in sanctification. One day, glorification is coming, and I will finish this redemption. And that's what he's saying right there. First, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, um, he who began a good work in you will finish it, right? That's what he's talking about. But I've given you a down payment to just assure you of that. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is just a taste of the glory that's coming. 
You've tasted heaven a little bit because you've tasted the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit in your life and you have these little glimpses, right? But it's coming where it's the full redemption. That's what he's saying. Oh God, I look forward to that. Some people look at it like a wedding ring. You know, you're saying, look, I'll marry you. I, I want to marry you. Let me give you this ring. In ancient culture, actually, when you would become betrothed, you would give the family money that says essentially you're going to, you know, pursue it. It's a dowry, so they would call that. The concept of being sealed by the Spirit as a down payment brings comfort and assurance to believers of all walks of life. I hope you know that you've got God's wedding ring on you today, right? He's going to finish what he started with you. You know, this applies to all kinds of different people, doesn't it? I mean, this... Sometimes you go to church and you say, I, you know, I just really need something really practical. This is very practical. You're a struggling parent here today. Your future is secure if you're in Christ. You can trust God's plan for you, for your family. You know where you're going in life. You know what life's about. These things, people that don't have Christ don't have these things. Your struggle is a whole lot different because you have reality. You have a future. You understand what's coming. You understand who you are, why you're here, what you're doing. You understand what God wants for your family. There are people today struggling, saying, I don't know what God wants. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with these kids. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, you do. That's a tremendous practical blessing. You know, the loftiest theology, the Swiss Alps member of theology, it has on the ground practical application. You're a lonely single. So here today, it provides hope to you that you are not alone, that God has a plan for your life including this future inheritance with him. You're stressed out at your job. It reminds you that your ultimate reward is not found in your job, but in your identity as a child of God and your future inheritance with him. Anxious and depressed teenagers. I don't know. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was anxious and depressed. I had no idea what was going on in life. This offers a bright hope of the future and the assurance that you are loved and valued by God and you've been sealed by his spirit. You know, when you've been told that you were hand-selected by God, that you were chosen, that you were brought into his family, that's an identity. And you young people today, you look around and you see people trying desperately to find out what their identity is. I was watching a news story the other day about this gal that's suing Kaiser Permanente because they helped her transition into being a boy. Now she wants to transition back and she's mad at Kaiser Permanente and she wants to go ahead and try to sue them now. And it's like, you know, you, you do the math and you trace this stuff all the way back. And it's like, you know, when you tell people year after year after year, generation after generation, that they're just a bunch of series of accidental cell divisions and just one big accident and you came from, you know, you evolved over time and there's no purpose of life. And Richard Dawkins says the only purpose of life is to propagate DNA. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. You mean nothing. Do you wonder why people are trying to find their identity and every single thing that they can try to find it in? You know, man, when I was a kid, I was a guitar player. I was a skateboarder. Before that, I was a ninja. I wasn't a very good ninja. You know, I, good God. I was a punk rocker. I was a heavy metal dude. I was a blues rocker. I mean, I had an outfit for each. Man, you don't have to try to find your identity in this sinking sand. You can find your identity in who God made you to be in reality. You can give that up. You can look at these people that are groping and struggling, trying to find out who they are, and you can just say, look, I know who I am. I can approach life knowing who I am. I've watched the confusion in people's life where they're trying to find out who they are 
And God has made it so easy. He's told you, I love you, I care for you. That's who you become, who you really are. Blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, blessings from the Spirit. So as you can see, we've been lavished with many wonderful spiritual blessings. Is your life with Christ blessed and abundant and overflowing? I'm not trying to say, when I use those words blessed and abundant, it is just such a plan of the devil that the prosperity gospel has hijacked those terms. It's just terrible. I'm not talking about material stuff. Might be material, might not. Spiritual blessings, knowing him, knowing who you are in him, knowing what life is about, knowing where you're going. I pray that your life is beautiful, overwhelmingly abundant, and that you know how to appropriate these things. And you ask the Lord, I want to live like this. I want to be like this. I want to put this stuff to work. I've got stuff in my account I didn't even know before today. I want to leave here today rich. Because you are. 